real briefly, I want uh, the two potential SUM students just to come up here, say your name, and uh, the other cohorts, I want you to pray for these two that are considering joining with us in uh, February. We also have two more, so a total of four joining with us to be uh, well over 20. So just introduce yourself briefly, tell a little bit about why you want to join the school, and then that way they'll know to pray for you from here until February. Well, my name is Jonathan Schaefer, and uh, for a very long time, I've actually, I always have loved ministering to people from what God has shown me and what I've learned from different churches and elders that I've learned from. And it's just always been a calling in my heart to do this. It's just now moving forward and actually doing it. Oh, wow, that's different. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I just I thank God for this opportunity to actually pursue some of my dreams. God. Let's give it up for John. Amen. Hello, everybody. My name is uh, Ricky Malone. Uh, I've been saved for about three years now. And um, just had a divine appointment um, with meeting with uh, Pastor Joe and uh, Brother Berto and everything. I had the desire in my heart. The Lord's been using me, uh, my wife, uh, in a major way. Praise God. So I believe that this is my calling. Uh, my prayer time, the Lord spoke to my heart told me I want you to go to SUM. Yes, sir. So here I am. <laughs> Thank you. Amen. Let's just pray for them while they're here. Father God, we thank you for John. We thank you for Rick. God, we pray that you just bless each one of them. Lord God, with a provision for the vision, that God, that they'll have financial blessing. They'll have uh, God, their family be blessed. We know that Rick is married with a child, Lord. Family, God, we just pray that all things will work together for your good. And we know that when you're blessing, the devil comes messing. So we put a hedge of protection around them. We put a hedge of just prosperity that no debt, no things will hinder them in that way. Sickness, illness, sin, anything that would try to come and hinder them. Family issues. Father God, you said forsake all and follow me for the call. And God, they forsake all for the call. Now bless them, Lord, mightily. You said we should pray for laborers. Here is an answer to that prayer, Father. So we ask you to bless them, encourage them, and let them, oh God, do wonderful things for you, God, as they continue to serve you, Lord, in this new season. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's give the Lord a big hand clap for him. Praise God. Amen. Well, we bless you, brothers. Praise the Lord. Amen. Open up your Bibles with me to Zechariah chapter 9. Zechariah chapter 9. And I have got to make a confession. And, and let's make room for Rick right here, please. Somebody scoot down so he can come up there and feel bad. him sitting in the back by himself. So everybody scoot down. Come on. Um, this is humbling, embarrassing, but I have to confess it. So this is your pastor learning, cohort director, however you see me. Praise the Lord. Here it is. Remember when I said that I felt that one of the reasons why God wanted me to do Zechariah was because he's a recognized prophet in Islam? Remember when I said that? And there is a prophet named Zechariah in Islam. But guess what? It's not this one. Can anybody think of another Bible character named Zechariah? It surprised me, yes. The father of John the Baptist. And that's who they recognized. And so, I, I mean... They have such obscure ways of choosing who's a prophet and who's not. So I just assumed when I saw Zechariah, because I, you know, I wrote a book on it, studied, I just always assumed in my mind 
that that was the Zechariah that we call a prophet that wrote prophetically. Not, not some man that has probably two paragraphs in the Bible that maybe says maybe ten words, but for whatever obscure reason, that's their prophet. So I labeled him as a prophet to Islam, but he is not. And, and, and the reason why that's kind of shocking, what's actually confirming what was shocking to me, is that it's so full of messianic prophecies. So I guess the devil knew not to let that prophet come on in, because they obviously don't receive Isaiah either, who has the most messianic prophecies. So, oh, well, God is good. We love Muslims anyway, right? And they need to receive Zechariah, this one, as a prophet too, amen? But the unique thing with that was on the fast, God did tell me to preach out of it, and I have been tremendously blessed. And I've been hearing testimonies from you and as well as the cohort. So if you've been blessed by the learning of Zechariah, can you say amen? amen. Praise the Lord. Okay, Zechariah chapter 9. The title of today's message is, Our Gentle King. Oh, this is beautiful. Somebody say, Our Gentle King. Our Gentle King, Zechariah chapter 9. The word of the Lord is against the land of Herak and will rest upon Damascus. For the eyes of men and all the tribes of Israel are on the Lord. And upon Hamath too, which borders on it, and upon Tyre and Sidon, though they are very skillful. Tyre has built herself a stronghold. She has heaped up silver like dust and gold like the dirt of the streets. But the Lord will take away her possessions and destroy her power on the sea, and she will be consumed by fire. Come on. Ashkan will see it and fear. Gaza will writhe in agony, will writhe in agony. And Ekron too, for her hope will wither. Gaza will lose her king and Eshkan will be destroyed. Foreigners will accompany Eshdod and will cut off the pride of the Philistines. I will take the blood from their mouths, the forbidden fruit from between their teeth. Those who are left will belong to our God and become leaders in Judah. And Ekron will be like the Jebusites. But I will defend my house against marauding forces. Never again will an oppressed an oppressor overrun my people, for now I am keeping watch. Somebody say amen. Now let me just talk to you about this just for a minute, about these different nations. Okay, these were the nations that assisted the, uh, the big nations when the people of Israel and Judah were going into captivity. So, for example, like when Assyria was taking over Israel, they began to work with Syria and the different people, Tyreth, the Philistines, around that area to oppress the, the Jewish people. And then they themselves were getting pimped by these nations as well. So basically, they tried to get a better place with Assyria by turning against Israel. Okay? And the same thing with Babylon. When Babylon took Jerusalem into captivity, it manipulated other nations to turn against Israel. And now we know that uh, the Israelites have been in captivity for 70 years. He's bringing them back. Zechariah is the prophet speaking to the people as they're rebuilding the temple. Zerubbabel is the governor. Another one that is, uh, is with them is Ezra and Nehemiah. Ezra being kind of like the overseer. overseer. Nehemiah being like another prophet slash worker for the Lord. And they're all doing this wonderful work. And so Zechariah gets this word, tell the people, all of these nations that had a hand in oppressing you, now I'm going to destroy them. 
And I want you to see how amazing this is. Because this is what makes the Bible true. You know, this is not like the Book of Mormon talking about the Nephites on, you know, the plains of Utah or whatever. You know, making up stories, okay? This is actual factual stuff. So here you have God cursing nations. And let's see if these nations ever became known as nations again. Well, Hedrock, which is a part of Syria, in Damascus, which is... Uh, another country, are these countries known for their power in the Middle East today? Not at all. Not at all. Now, Syria, uh, we believe that maybe has, has become Iran or Iraq, but it's no longer known by that name and no longer has that influence. And if it wasn't for the taking over of Islam, it would be just a blip on the map. Which brings me to another part of this, which I, I want to stay right here for a moment before I go to the future, because these nations that oppress Israel then now are oppressing Israel now in that area, but this time against God and his people with Islam and what's going on right now in, in the, the Middle East. But I want you to understand that these nations like Hedrock, Damascus, how about the Philistines? Are they a nation anymore that's to be reckoned with? No, they're not even around. How about Tyre and Sidon? Do you ever hear of these nations anymore? No. So what did God do? God destroyed these nations. God took away their power. Take, for example, uh, Damascus and Hamath. All of these were a part of a Syrian kingdom that today you would go look for it. They're in ruins. Now let me ask you a question. Is there a nation by the name of Israel? Oh, I'm about ready to get excited. Is there a city with the name Jerusalem? Can you find it today? Hello, somebody. Did God keep His Word? See, did God, God destroyed nations that now you go look at Babylon, it's a ruin. You want to go look at these other places, they are ruins. Damascus, they are ruins. You want to go look at Hamath, it's a ruin. You want to go look at the land of the Philistines, it's in ruins. You want to see where God's people are? After 6,000 years, there they are occupying the land because God kept His Word to them. Amen. That just gets me excited when you read prophecy and you see it come to pass. I mean, it would be something, you know, you're reading this right here and God says, you, you, know, you, you know, I'm going to destroy, you know, something, you know, that we know is still around today. Or, you know, you know what I'm saying? Like, God, I'm trying to think of a nation back then. Like, let's say God said, I'm going to destroy Greece. There's never going to be a Greece. This Greece is never going to become a nation again. And you're like, well, there's still a Greece, you know, there's still this. Or if God said, you know, like, I'm going to uh, destroy the... Um, the pyramids of Egypt, you know, and then they're still there. It's like a false prophecy, you know, but he's telling them, I'm going to take away your kings. I'm going to take away your land. You're going to be in ruins. I'm going to destroy you. I'm going to punish you. And Israel's still going to remain. Oh, Sheikah Boomba. That gets me excited. I wish I had time to go into world history and geography, but I really don't. I have a whole bunch of notes on that and commentaries. But I just wanted to give you a quick explanation. That's not our message today, but that's just exciting. Because he says, uh, verse 8 of chapter 9, But I will defend my house against marauding forces. Never again will an oppressor overrun my people, for now I am keeping watch. Now we're going to have to come back to that, because we know after Zechariah who did oppress the people. Eventually, Syria did kind of raise up again. Greece took over Syria, and that's why they never existed anymore. But, you know, Israel became under oppression of the Romans. So did this fulfill in its day to the fullness? No. 
it really didn't start happening again until 1946. Because from this time, Israel was always an occupied land. So I'm going to come back to that and show you how that fits into the end times. But I had to jump ahead and just get you excited. Jerusalem is still with us. Praise the Lord. Verse 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. That's the subject of our message today. Somebody say, our gentle king. Amen. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim, the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. He will rule with his rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. Now, do you understand how that has to be prophetic right there? Because that never came to pass in the rebuilding of the second temple. First of all, Zerubbabel, their leader, wasn't a king. He was a governor appointed by, at that time, Persia, which had taken over Babylon. So he was never a king, number one. Number two, from that time forward, there was never a king that brought peace amongst the whole earth. And then when we know that it's applied to Jesus in Matthew, now you're going to get a little bit of the understanding. Why did the Jews believe the Messiah had to be a conquering king? Because of prophecies like this. So here the disciples say, Hosanna, we're going to get to Palm Sunday in just a minute, but you know they're throwing down the palms, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and Matthew says he's riding on a donkey just like Zechariah. Well, what's the next thing supposed to happen? What goes on right after that? What happens from verse 9 to verse 10? Look at verse 10. I will take away the chariots of Ephraim. That's a tribe of Israel, one of the sons of Joseph. I'm going to take away the war horses from Jerusalem. The battle bow will be broken. Well, today, are there still, well, in Jesus' day, were there still battle bows and horses and all of that fighting going on in Jerusalem? Yes, in 90 AD, they, the Romans sacked Jerusalem and destroyed their temple, right? And even today, since 1946 and the reestablishment of Israel as a nation, do they still have battle forces, nuclear weapons? Hallelujah. So, what is this teaching us? That there's a time when the king comes in verse 9, and then when he comes again to bring peace in verse 10. And I, oh man, I just got to get ahead of myself. It's okay. He comes one. He comes the first time on a donkey in peace. He comes the second time on a horse in war. Oh, shikaboom! I got to get there. Lord, help me tell it all. I got so much I got to tell today. You all following it though, right? I'm going to read it again just so you can see it. And I won't interrupt it this time because I'm just so excited. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, daughter of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and having salvation, gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim, the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. Return to the fortress, return to your fortress, O prisoners of hope. Even now I announce that I will restore twice as much to you. Somebody say, double for my trouble. I wish I could preach that message in this passage. Double for your trouble. When the Lord sets you free, He gives you back double. Praise God. 
You remember how you were lost, you were serving the devil, everything was messed up, tore up from the floor up. You know how things in your life just weren't right, your family, your relationships. But when he sets you free, did he just give you back what the devil took? No, he gives you back that and then some. Hallelujah. He gives you the best wife or husband you could have ever imagined out of all those bookies that you had before. Hello. He gives you the best occupation and job and career. All of that double for your trouble. He restores what the devil took and then some. Amen. I mean, I never thought I would live in the house I have today, have the ministry that God has given me with, the education, praise God. And all of that is because when Jesus set me free, he had to get glory out of that. And he says, it's just not good enough for me to have him live in an apartment with this little associate degree. i got to give him a master's degree, bless him with a beautiful house, a beautiful wife, and give him a whole bunch of kids. Come on. And that's just in my life a testimony. Amen. So you have a testimony of what God's given for you, but that's where they were getting double for their trouble. Verse 13, I will bend Judah as I bend my bow and fill it with Ephraim. I will arouse your sons, O Zion, against your sons, O Greece, and make you like a warrior's sword. So they're going to come against Greece, who eventually tries to oppress them. And eventually Greece, we know, is destroyed as a world power. And I believe all of this is because of God saying, whoever messes with Israel will be cursed. And that's another... Once I said, once again, another discussion. Then the Lord will appear over them. His arrow will flash like lightning. The sovereign Lord will sound the trumpet. He will march in the storms of the south, and the Lord Almighty will shield them. They will destroy and overcome with sling stones. They will drink and roar as with wine. They will be full like a bowl used for the sprinkling, used for sprinkling the corners of the altar. The Lord their God will save them on that day. Somebody say, on that day. As the flock of his people, they will sparkle in his land like jewels in a crown. How attractive and beautiful they will be. Grain will make the young men thrive and new wine the young women. Somebody say amen. Okay, let me give you first right here the at the moment application to the people of Israel when Zechariah is saying this. Number one, he's saying, I'm going to destroy the nations who put you into captivity. Number two, I'm going to defend you. And you will make it. You will not be destroyed when Greece and the other world powers come against you. We know that to be true. And number three, I'm sending a king. That king will bring peace. And that king will do it by using Judah as an arrow and uh, using Judah as a bow and Ephraim as the arrow, and it will bring salvation to the world. He will bring salvation to the world. And in that day, grain and wine, symbols of prosperity, will be abundant for everybody. That was the promise. So here they're in the land. They're starting to see these nations oppress them, begin to be destroyed. They're getting excited. And now what are they waiting for? Their king. Are you all ready? Come on, somebody say, our gentle king. They're waiting for a gentle king riding on a donkey. Now go with me to Matthew chapter 21. Fast forward about five, six hundred years to Matthew chapter 21. Here comes Jesus to his own people. He is the son of David. He comes through the line of the kings. And he comes to Jerusalem, the city of God. And there's rejoicing. And what are they doing? Matthew chapter 21, verse 1. Here it is. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on Mount of Olives, Jesus, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you at once, and you'll find a donkey tied there with her colt by her. By her. Untie her there. Untie them and bring one of them to me. If anyone says to you, 
Tell them, if anyone says anything to you, tell them the Lord needs them, and He will send them right away. Amen? So that's all you need to do when you go to the Lexus dealer. Just go up there, say, the Lord needs this. Amen? I'll bring it to you when I'm done. Praise God. Amen. I've heard people actually try that, so be careful, okay? The Lord needs this Hummer. Praise the Lord. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Now, we know what prophet that is. Who's this prophet? Zechariah. Well done, students. Praise God. Say to the daughter of Zion, see your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. Now, if you notice, it doesn't go to the next verse. See, because Matthew was saying, verse 10 is not coming yet. There's not going to be peace from ocean to ocean. There's not going to be a battle with Judah being a bow and Ephraim being the arrow. This is not happening yet. And now do you understand? See, Jewish people weren't just rebellious against God in the sense they hated God. They were people with right motives that allowed their hearts to be corrupted, and they missed God. And how much more so do you think we could miss God on His second coming? Think about this. Just pause here real quick. They had... 4,000 years, a bigger book of what they called their Bible, their Old Testament. So more prophets, more information, more time to receive Jesus the first time and goes right over them. They don't even get it. They don't even understand what he's here to do. They're thinking he's riding on the donkey. Verse 9 is happening. Well, what's coming right next? Shekabuma, there's going to be some Armageddon flames of fire on the Romans, and Jerusalem is going to rule the world because this Messiah is going to conquer the world. Now do you understand why in just a few days the same people who were shouting Hosanna began to shout crucify Him? Because in their mind... It's like, well, if he's a revolutionary, let's push him up against the wall and see how bad he really is. And that's why they were saying to him on the cross, you saved others, save yourself. <laughs> Excuse me. And in some people's sense, and even scholars to this day believe that Judas was one of those people who didn't even necessarily say, I disbelieve in Jesus, but he was saying, I believe in Jesus so much to be a revolutionary that I'll bring his enemies to him so that he'll be forced to fight and God will be forced to bring his judgment. And that is very similar to what the Muslims are doing right now. That's why the jihadist Muslims are fighting the way they are, because they're saying if we fight and we bring God's kingdom, we're going to usher in and actually believe most of them that Jesus will come back as that prophet as well, who will have Armageddon. So especially the president of Iran, that crazy guy, he's saying the more we fight and oppress the Jews and God's enemies, we can hasten this Armageddon day. And that's exactly what was in the mindset of these Jews. So don't think to yourself, well, I could never have missed it. No, they were thinking the whole prophecy. He comes on a colt, he brings peace. Okay, so keep going. He comes on a donkey. The disciples went ahead and did what, as Jesus had instructed. They brought the donkey, the colt, placed their cloaks on them. And Jesus sat on them. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them out on the road. The crowds went ahead of them, and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the Son of David! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord! Hosanna in the highest! You see, this was all for a king. They're putting out the branches. They're, they're shouting out, Hosanna, which means God is our Savior. Salvation comes from God. Verse 10, when Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Now what does he do? 
Verse 12, Jesus entered the temple area and drove out all those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables and the money changers. And those who were selling does, he has written, My house will be called a house of prayer, but they're making it a den of robbers. Now hold on. All of a sudden, you're a Jewish person and you're like, Hosanna, Hosanna, Hosanna. And then like he walks by you and then he goes into the temple, grabs a whip and starts whipping your father, selling doves and starts pimp slapping the, the priest. I told you not to be selling that stuff. Now just imagine you're saying, you go, ho, ho, hold on. Whoa, whoa. You're supposed to be, you're supposed to be building the temple, defending the temple, and bringing peace to the whole world. You rode up here on a donkey and started pimp slapping old priests, all these old guys, and you're slapping out, you know, you're whipping them. Hold on, what's going on? Do you understand how crazy this was to them? But somebody say, our gentle king. He, see, he's gentle. And you might say, man, how in the world is that gentle? Because you know what he had to do? He had to get a people that were right, that could go and spread his gospel, so that when he did come as a conquering king, there would be somebody in his kingdom. Because how many know that day, if he would have came as a conquering king, there would have been about 12 people on this planet. After he destroyed everybody, it would be like him and Peter. He would be like, Peter, you want to hang out today? Okay, Jesus, let's go walk over here together. Walk into India by themselves. Like Everybody would be destroyed. Think about it. Nobody in India served God. <laughs> Gone. Nobody in China was serving God. <laughs> Gone. So Armageddon would have left like 20 people. You know what I'm saying? Peter might not even have made it in. Like some of them may not even have made it in. It would have been like Jesus and like three people hanging out. What's going on, guys? This is the kingdom of God. <laughs> Having fun, little ping pong. Come on. See, what Jesus was doing is he was cleansing this temple in His first coming, which the Jews were missing, which we now understand through Isaiah 53, the suffering servant, that He was going to redeem the Jews from all of their sins and failures. And then He was going to have a message of redemption for the Gentiles, the entire world. So I want you to catch the prophecy of Zechariah and what the Jews missed, that when Jesus came the first time, He came as a gentle king. Gentle. Why is he clearing the temple? Because he wants the temple to be used for what? He says right here, come on, my house, verse 13, will be called a house of prayer. And we also know that in another um, gospel it says a house of prayer for the nations. Then verse 14, the blind, the lame came to him at the temple and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple area, Hosanna to the Son of God, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? Why are the Jews upset? Because they just got pin slapped. They just got whooped right out the temple. They are upset. They don't even care that children are happy. They don't even care that people are being healed. Come on, somebody. He says, do you hear what the children are saying? They asked. Yes, Jesus said. Have you ever read from the lips of children and infants you have ordained praise? He left them, went out of the city to Bethany where he spent the night. And then what does he do? He curses the fig tree as a sign of his judgment against Israel that they don't bear fruit. And then he begins to tell them parables about how Israel did not do with the message of God what they were supposed to do. 
Yes, there was always a difference between a Jew and a Gentile. But Jews were supposed to be the light of the world. Jews were supposed to be kind to their enemies. Jews were supposed to convert the world to Judaism. They were given a message of hope for the rest of the world. If you read through Deuteronomy, you understand that their message of hope was for all of the people who traveled with them. The sojourner, the alien, as they were known in those times. And the Bible even says when they left Egypt that a lot of Egyptians left with them. Go back and read it. And so here they were supposed to be the light of the nations. But what did they do? As Zechariah said, they began to compromise with these nations, began to make treaties with them, began to worship their idols, and those same nations turned their back on them in the time of trouble, oppressed them, and handed them over to their enemies. And even when God gave them back their land in the second temple with Zechariah during that time, they still went into their own religious ways. And when Jesus came right here, they missed Him. Why? Because they couldn't see Him as a gentle king. They wanted God to pay back all the nations at that moment. And they thought they deserved the kingdom. And they had no idea that, number one, they lacked mercy. Remember when he said, I desire mercy to them? He says when he judged the woman, uh, I mean, when the woman was put before him with the adulteress, he said, go and sin no more. And people began to ask him, What's, why do you do this? And he said, because I desire mercy. Seek out what that means in the Scripture. You see, I want you to understand that when Jesus came the first time, He came as a gentle king. I want to give you some of the words that are for gentle. In the Hebrew, when we say the word gentle, it's anai. And it means humble, lowly. It means to come in a common manner. Sometimes even meaning poor, weak, and afflicted. When you look at the word in Greek, prius, it means meekness and gentleness of spirit towards God. Allowing evil people to injure, afflict, and to even hurt you and yet trust God in the midst of the situation. Does that describe Jesus? Evil people afflicted Him. And yet in the midst of the situation, He didn't fight back. That's what the word gentle means. I want you to look at Matthew chapter 26. What happens when Peter pulls out a sword and he tries to now bring the conquering king out of Jesus? Remember that? Matthew chapter 26. Even one of Jesus' closest disciples, what did he want Jesus to be? A conquering king. Look at Matthew chapter 26 verse 60. Okay, they're arresting you, Jesus. It's time to get it on. What happens here? Look at verse 50. Jesus replied, friend, do what you've come for. Hold on, who, who is he calling friend there? Judas. Don't you think Jesus could have come up with a lot of other names for a betrayer other than friend? But why is he doing this? Because he's gentle. Even his disciples at this time didn't understand. Maybe Judas, as some scholars say, was actually trying to incite Jesus to become a revolutionary. Like basically starting the fight so Jesus would finish it. And yet Jesus doesn't retaliate at all because he's meek. He's being treated wrongly by evil people, but he's not fighting back. He calls them friend. He says, what did you come for? Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. 
Now imagine this right here. You're watching the king, the one who just rode on the donkey, says that your king will come on a donkey. They're all shouting for him when he comes as a king. They're laying out the branches. You're watching now this king get arrested. So what do you do for your king? You defend him. What happens with that? One of Jesus' companions reached for a sword. We know this is Peter drew it out and struck the servant of a high priest, cutting off his ear. Let's get it all. Let's fight. It's time. Armageddon. Let's fight like the way David and his mighty men fought, right? Let's fight as conquerors. Let's fight. That's what they're thinking. Once again, Jesus now turns his back on that. And he says, put your sword back in his place, Jesus said. For all those who draw the sword will die by the sword. Now look at verse 53. Do you think I cannot call on my Father and He will at once put all and put at my disposal more than twelve legion of angels? Which there can be a thousand to five thousand soldiers in a legion. So you're talking, you know, fifty thousand, maybe to a hundred thousand angels. But how then would the Scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen this way? And if you notice, there's no Scripture or quote. Because what Scripture is He talking about? He's talking about the whole Bible. The Scriptures. He's talking about from Genesis when Adam and Eve sinned. What happened? An animal was killed. Blood was shed to cover their nakedness. From the time of Abraham, sacrifice. From the time of Moses and the scapegoat and the Passover, blood over the doorpost. Come on. The, 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 the Bible was teaching, the Scripture was teaching that someone must die for you to be forgiven. And now Jesus is demonstrating, I'm not just a king that conquers like David. I'm not just a king that comes and takes over the whole world. I am a gentle king. He's saying, I will suffer for my people. I want you to think about the differences in how kings would act in their day. If you came riding on a horse to another land as a king... The idea was you were coming to conquer them by force. Thus, if you were riding on a colt, what you were showing was is that you were coming in peace to make a treaty with them. I want to say that again. If you came as a king on a horse, what you were saying is, I am destroying you. It's over. It's time to fight. Put up or shut up. Knuckle up. Buckle up. Let's get it on. Whoever dies, dies. At the end of the day, you'll either kill me or I'll be riding in your town taking over your king. That's what your horse means. The king coming on a donkey means let's make peace. Let's talk this through. I want you to go with me to the book of Isaiah and learn about how Jesus said he was going to talk with his people. Go to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 18. How does God want to deal with His people? Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be like wool. If you are willing and obedient, you will eat the best from the land. But if you resist and rebel, you will be devoured by the sword. For the mouth of the Lord is spoken. So how does God say He first comes? Let's reason together. You are in sin. You need redemption. And I don't want to conquer you. 
Remember when he looked over Jerusalem before he went down and all these things happened? He wept for Jerusalem and he said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how long I've often wanted to gather you together as a hen gathers in her chicks, but you would not allow me. Now your house will be made desolate. My friends, I want you to think about how you and I preach the Gospel. Do we preach the Gospel in such a way where we're taking enjoyment from telling people their eternal soul is going to hell? Do we take enjoyment in being so righteous that we prove them wrong in their sin and become just like the Jews of that day who really just want Armageddon more than anything else? Or when we preach, do we preach like the way Jesus came to mankind, humbly riding on a donkey, being mistreated by them, and yet loving them, wishing that they wouldn't perish? You see, as much as I want to see our conquering king, and I'm going to describe that in just a little bit when he does come on a horse, I want us to understand fully how we came as a gentle king, riding on that donkey. I want you to go with me to Isaiah chapter 42. Because we know that Isaiah contains all these messianic prophecies. And of course, read Isaiah 53. But for the sake of this time, I won't read some of the ones I know you already know. But the Bible says in Isaiah 53 that He was oppressed because of us. That He was stricken because of us. That the peace that we needed was put upon Him as a curse. As the song goes, He was wounded, I was healed. He was made lonely so I would have a friend. At the cross, He calls us. He beckons us as a gentle king. Look at Isaiah 42.1. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice, and he will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on the earth. In His law, the islands will be put in their hope. I want you to ask yourself a question, my friend. If Jesus would have came and established justice according to what we deserved, what would have happened that day He came on this planet? But yet, how did He come as a gentle king? Look at Matthew 12. Look at the fulfillment of Isaiah. A bruised reed He will not crush. A smoldering flame. He will not pull it out. He will not shout and scream from the streets. What he's talking about there is, of course, Jesus had to raise his voice to preach and do those things. But he's not going to shout and cry out as a conqueror. That's not how he'll do it. Look at chapter 12 of Matthew, verse 19. Starting in verse 15. Aware of this, Jesus withdrew himself from that place. Many followed him and he healed all their sick, warning them and telling them, uh, warning them not to tell those who he was. This was to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant whom I've chosen, the one I love and whom I delight. I put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. See, that's the sense it means. Not that he wasn't bold, of course, when he was whipping them in the temple, he was rebuking them, but he's not going to quarrel with them and just, you know, wrangle and fight with them. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. A smoldering wick he will not snuff out. Till he leads justice to victory. 
in His name, the nations, nations will put their hope. So here comes Jesus, our gentle King, born in a manger, lives the life of a carpenter, doesn't come riding on a horse as a King David, doesn't come fighting, doesn't come shouting out revolution, but begins to serve the people, begins to heal their sick, begins to find the prostitutes and the lonely and the destitute and the poor and begins to give them hope. And then He begins to teach His disciples who have come honorably through a Jewish nation that He loves. He says, I have sheep that you know not of. And know who He was talking about? He was talking about Puerto Ricans because they didn't know of Puerto Ricans. And He was talking about American Indians because they didn't know of American Indians. And He was talking about Eskimos and Indians and all these people that those people at that time never knew because He was saying, it's for the nations I want. I want the nations. He came as a gentle king. I want to ask you, when you go preaching, do you preach with the heart of gentleness like Jesus had? Remember in the 201 class, and I'll remind those of you that were there and those who weren't there, I'll share with you, that I said God wanted me to become more gentle. That God wants me to become more loving. Why? Because as a pastor, I can find myself in ministry so often being right. And I can find myself quarreling because I'm right. And I can find myself raising my voice, rebuking people in their sin because I'm right. And yet miss the heart of God. Because when He was here, He didn't have that heart. Yes, He was bold. Yes, He went into the temple and whipped them. I don't want you to forget that Jesus because I never want Jesus to be a sissy in your eyes. Yes, He went to the temple. But He did it so why? He could then clear it out, heal the sick, and pray for the nations. My friends, when you go out and preach, never... Get the heart of these, the Jewish hypocrisy that says, God, I just want you to damn them all. Just punish them now. God, just punish Wright College because they're atheistic. God, punish the Latin kings because they're so violent. God, punish Boys Town because Boys Town is, is in a homosexuality. God, destroy our president in the White House because they legalize abortion. No, that's not the heart of our Jesus. And now go to one of the most famous passages in this church, and I'm sure in many of your lives, Matthew chapter 28. The Great Commission. Does He say, now go out and bring damnation, preach the gospel of condemnation to the world? No. What does He say? Verse 18 of chapter 28, Then Jesus came to His disciples says, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to Me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And look at verse 20. Catch this right here. And teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Was one of the teachings of Jesus, love your enemies. Was one of the teachings of Jesus be kind to those who despitefully use you? Was one of Jesus' teachings when you're preaching and they persecute you, turn the other cheek? Was one of Jesus' teachings where you go and they bring you to the point of death, rejoice for you've been counted worthy of suffering? Was that not Jesus' teaching? And was not Jesus' teaching by His life healing the sick, cleansing the leper out of a heart of compassion and gentleness? How many today want to serve our gentle King with gentleness? How many know SUM needs to be reminded of a gentle King? 
Because so many times we talk about the conquering king. And we know that he is a conquering king. And we know that his wrath is against sinners. But before he judges sinners, there's a time of redemption. I began to look through the Bible and how Jesus began to deal with people. And you look at the way he deals with them. You know what Jesus' four-letter word was? Jesus liked to say four-letter word. You know what his love? He didn't say that a whole lot, though he loved them. But you know what his favorite word was? Come. C-O-M-E, come. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Come. Come and follow me. Come and see where I am staying. Is anyone thirsty? Let him come unto me and drink. If there was right now somebody on a, on a tank, would you want to come to them? No. But if someone rode in here on a donkey, would you come to them? Jesus said, I'm lowly, I'm humble, and I have come not to be served, but to serve. Come. That is who our God is. Now in closing, so that you know what He is going to come as the second time, because you do need to warn people, turn with me to Revelations 19.11. Because this time, He is not coming on a donkey. He is not coming in gentleness. And you might say, Pastor, and I know probably somebody here may not, but somebody elsewhere may say, Pastor, come on, man. You almost preached the whole message without scaring us. You, you almost preached. I would tell we almost just thought you, you were just Mother Teresa, and you were just about, oh, if you would have just ended it and prayed, be gentle, we serve a gentle king, we would have thought you were, you were, you know, from Iris Ministries, Heidi Baker. We'd, we would have just been so amazed. But that's not my calling, amen? <laughs> Go to Revelations 19. I like to say the ones that sometimes people forget to say. Look at what it says in the NIV above a verse, verse 11 as they subtitle these sections. The rider on the white horse. He's not riding a donkey anymore. I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. With justice he judges and makes war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses, dressed in fine linen, white and clean. Out of his mouth came a sharp sword with to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter, going back to Psalms 2. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God. On his robe and his thigh he has this name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. So what are we to tell people? Come to Him now while He may be found as a gentle king. Come to Him now while He bids you to come. Come to Jesus now, as Psalms 2 says, kiss the Son lest He become angry. Come to Him now in spirit and in truth and worship Him. Come to Him now and repent of your sins, for His kingdom is at hand. Come now while He is on the donkey. Because there will come a time where He rides a horse and there is no more mercy. 
And I know sometimes that bothers us because we love people to the point of asking maybe, God, is there another way? Do you have to send them to hell? And my friends, there is no other way. It's the justice of God. It's the righteousness of God. He must judge them. And I, and I love it when people say, say it like this. Well, why doesn't God just rid the earth of evil then so people don't get in trouble? And, and I say it like this. Hold on. Where does evil reside on this earth? Does it reside on a tree? Do, tree, do trees molest children? Does it reside on the concrete in the ocean? No. The evil resides in men's hearts. So the only way Zechariah's prophecy can be fulfilled from sea to sea, peace across the land, is that all those who have caused trouble and have evil must be judged and punished. And as Revelation says, trampled as grapes in a wine press. So today, going back to Zechariah 9 in closing, I want to encourage you to fall in love with our gentle king and to respect him as a conquering king. To go out and teach the world he is a gentle king. He loves you. He doesn't want you to perish. To tell the people in your ministries that Jesus came to fulfill prophecy so that the nations might be saved. That good news, the gospel to you is you can enter His kingdom now. And you don't come by works. You don't come by the good things you can do. You come by His grace, paid for by His blood, with faith in Him which is freely given to all who hear the Word. And then if they say, I don't want your God, I'm going to go another way. It is your duty to warn them and say, this may be your last chance. Today is your day of salvation. You have to understand, He came to bring peace on a donkey and offered you His message. But if you reject it, He will bring peace now with a conquering sword. You will suffer His wrath. And so, my friends, that's the way to respond to this world Give them the gentleness of God. Give them the love of God. Give them the compassion of God. Live yourself with that love. If you fault, if you mistake, know that God loves you. He's kind with you. He's gentle with you. He is not running away from you just because you failed in some way. Understand that He cares for you and that He's patient with you. And yet at the same time, fear Him. That if you keep living in continual sin, that if you would forsake your call, that if you would turn your back on Him, you will be conquered by Him. Would you stand with me? Praise God. Lilani, would you come please? How many learned something today? Can you say amen? If you have time and you want to look up those different nations, uh, Adam Clark's commentary, the free Fawcett and Brown commentary on our website, has the listing of those nations. Also, if you want to learn more about the Second Temple, email me because I've just been coming up with tons of links. But here's the deal. I want to focus today on the gentleness of our King. Because I know that every single one of us could give that impression of Jesus better to people around us. Let's pray. Father, I thank You today for Your Word. I thank You, Jesus, that You were kind and gentle with me. 
Hallelujah. Can you just thank the Lord for your own testimony today? Jesus, we thank you, Lord, that you were gentle with us. We thank you, Lord, that you didn't destroy us in your wrath. We thank you, Lord, that you came gently into our hearts. You didn't force yourself upon me November 5th, 1995. God, you're not a spiritual rapist. You didn't make me give in to you. You just called me and said, come. You broke through, God, the stone-cold heart that I had, God, because of my own sin. And your love melted it, God. Oh, Lord, I thank you, God, for mercy. I thank you, God, for grace. As David said, oh, the joy of the one who's been forgiven, who God doesn't count his sin against him. Oh, God, you are a gentle king. Come on, as you're just meditating on him today, I want to encourage you with some some prayers to pray to him right now. Do you know that when you come to him, the Bible says that you can come respecting who He is and yet loving Him with more love than you've ever loved anybody with. I want some of you to have an image of God today not just as the Creator, the most powerful being in the universe, but I want you to imagine that Jesus riding on a donkey. That's how He is in your time of weakness. The Bible says He's not condemning you. You can come to Him. So I bid you right now, if you're going through something, if you're struggling, and you're getting an image in your mind, no, God's, God's so disappointed with me. God, God's going to judge me harshly. My friends, that's the devil. He's lying to you. I want you right now, if you're going through something, to imagine that picture. That was an illustration for everybody to see. Here's the king of the universe riding on a donkey. And I want you to come to Him right now and ask Him for help as the Bible says. Come to Him boldly to the throne of grace. Come on, I know some of you right now you're struggling with getting your homework done, your schoolwork, financially, the pressure. Some of you miss your family. Some of you are going through just different temptations right now. Maybe you're doubting your call. Maybe you're doubting yourself. Just a weakness is coming to you. It's capturing you. It's it's trying to take you over. Just come to your king right now. Come on, I want to minister to SUM for a few moments. I want you to minister to the world in just a little bit. But right now, this is for you. And it doesn't matter if it's just one of you right now. I'm going to linger in the presence. As the rest of you, if it's not for you, then you just keep thanking Lord, the Lord right now. Just worshiping for His kindness and goodness. But I'm just going to linger a little bit, even if it's not just for one. So they can come to a gentle King today and be loved. If you need to come to the altar, you can come. If you want to kneel where you are, it doesn't matter. Just We want to linger a little bit and come to a gentle King.
I remember when I had made mistakes as a pastor that I started hearing the voice of condemnation so loud that I didn't think God could forgive my mistakes. And I remember crying out to the Lord, Can you forgive pastors who sin? And God said to me, I forgive pastors who sin, just like I forgive the worst of all sinners. Come on. Maybe somebody needs to hear that today. Because does God still help me? I'm supposed to know it all. I'm a leader in the church. I'm supposed to have it all together. Would God help me or is He disappointed in me? I want you to hear me today. God still helps you. He's still God just for you. Some of you might be thinking, well, if I don't help others, I'm not a good person. Listen to me. God wants to help you right now. Don't think about others today at this altar. It's for you first. Because if you're not right, how can you help somebody else? Never forget that the first part of ministry is not ministering to others. It's God ministering to you. Come on, we're going to linger in the presence of a gentle God, a loving God. And it can bend. 
but it can only bend so much before it breaks. Because you know when it's in the wind, it bends and it goes back and forth. Have you seen grain fields? But when it's broken, it just hangs over. Just let me talk for a moment, Leilani, as they're praying. Please listen, if you feel like you're breaking, and you're saying, you know, I know that God breaks me and He humbles me, but you feel like you're breaking and it's despair, I'm telling you, that's an attack of the devil. Come to God and say, Lord, restore me. Restore me. Because the Bible says when he sees that reed, that, that, that grain stalk, when he sees it and it's coming to the point of breaking, he doesn't come and break it. He doesn't. He doesn't deal with us that way. Sometimes I've heard Christians say as they're serving God, you know, something bad happened to me. You know, I got a flat tire. You know, it's, it's, it's God dealing with me. No, God doesn't deal with you like that. When you're living for Him, God doesn't let, you know, God doesn't tell the devil, break into my servant's house, steal their stuff. No, that's the devil attacking. You need to know the difference. I've had people tell me, no, God punished me with this sickness you know, because I didn't pray this day. No, God didn't do that. Your body caught an illness and the devil's trying to lie to you and make you feel God deals with you that way. God does not deal with us that way. How do we know Islam is false? Because when the angel Gabriel came to Muhammad, he choked him and said, Say this or you're going to die. We never see that in the Bible. God does not deal with His prophets that way. Yes, if you're in blatant sin, you will suffer for it. But I'm talking about those of you who live for God and sometimes you'll see bad things happen and you'll say, God is punishing me. No, He's not. He doesn't deal with you that way. I want you to have an image of Him today when you're breaking and you're bending and you're struggling financially, you're struggling to get your schoolwork done and then all of a sudden something bad happens, Another, just that another thing happens and you're thinking, man, God is breaking me. No, God is there to help you. He's seen that the weight of this world is breaking you. He's seen that there's so much temptation around you. And He's not the one causing it. He's the one that's going to help you. You can run to Him. Another thing that the Bible says, that that that, that candle, that, that wick, that's starting to go out. He doesn't snuff it out. Sometimes we hear that Scripture, lukewarm or cold. And people have taught it. I mean, hot or cold, you know, I, I wish you were either one. People have taught it, you know, in the sense of, well, you know, if you're not going to live for God radical, God just wants you cold living for the devil because He doesn't want you to fake it. That's not what that Scripture means. The Laodiceans had springs of water. Some were hot that had purposes for bathing, purposes for cooking, purposes for disinfecting that were hot. And others were cold for drinking, for refreshing. Both were useful. God isn't saying, I wish that you would live for me or live for the devil, but since you're neither, I'm going to spit you out. No, what he's saying is, you being lukewarm is worse than being cold or hot because both are useful. But what does he say after he rebukes them for that? Does he say, now stay lukewarm because I hate you and I want you to be something that makes me puke? No, he says, get back on fire. And so if you're feeling like your fire is going out, you feel like you're getting tired, you feel like your time of prayer is, 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 is not as exciting as it once was, and then now you start to feel condemnation and you say, 
man, I might as well not even pray today because God's going to know I'm not even feeling it. And so it's not even worth it. No, that's the devil. You should go to your prayer time and say, God, help me to want to pray. God, help me to want to witness again. God, help me to want to be on fire again. You see, you're coming to Him because He's not looking at you like, oh, I want to snuff you out. What He's saying is, I want to build you up. And it's the devil, it's, it's his lies that make you want to run from God. We're going to linger just a few more moments where some of you just needed to hear that clarification. When Adam and Eve sinned, they ran away. But Jesus ran to them. Always remember that. He didn't leave them there. He came to them looking, where are you, Adam? Where are you, Eve? You don't think he knew? What he was saying to them is, I'm looking for you. I care about you. I'm coming after you. But do you know where you are? Do you know that you're away from me? He said, we're naked, God. We're ashamed to be in your presence. They didn't think they could be naked in front of God. Imagine that. They had been in His glory that whole entire time. And now when the glory left, and they were living as we're living now, they didn't even think they could be around Him. And a part of that was true. It wasn't going to be the same anymore. But yet He comes after them. And He says, who told you you were naked? Who told you I wouldn't want to be with you anymore? Who told you you couldn't come to me? Who told you that? You see... He never answers that, but we know who told him that was the devil. Because the devil tempts us. What does the devil do? He says, come on and sin. Come on and sin. You'll be so good. God won't mind. It won't be bad. Come on and sin. And then the moment you sin, what does he say? Now God hates you. Now look at you. Now you're nobody. Now you're nothing. Now you should quit. And God is saying, hold on. He lied to you both times. He lied to you both times few more moments right now, those of you who just need the fire to be lit again, who need the reed to be strengthened again. Come on, ask God right now, your gentle King, come all those who are weary and heavy laden, lay your burdens down, men and women of God. He will give you rest. Why? Because His yoke is easy and His load is light. He is gentle. He is kind. He is loving. He is patient with you. Jesus. And now let's turn our hearts towards the people we minister to. Let's ask God for a baptism of love. A baptism of kindness. A baptism of gentleness. That if we have to rebuke, we do it in love. If we have to warn them of judgment, we do it with tears. Come on. When we street preach, we do it out of love, beckoning people to come to Christ who cares for them. Come on. Jesus, ask God for a heart of love today. Make us like you, Lord. Gentle and kind. Yes, you could cleanse the temple, but why did you do it? So you can heal the sick and pray for nations. Let that be the motivation of our heart, even in our toughest conversations, even when we're dealing with the most rebellious of sinners. Let our heart be like you, just wanting to help them. We're doing it because we love them. Because we love them.
We love the homosexual community with your love. Help us love them more. We want to love the young people at Foreman and, oh God, at Prosser and Lane Tech, the students of Ohio Park. God, we want to love them with your love. We want to come into Ohio Park not quarreling, not fighting, not screaming and making a mess. We want to come riding on that horse, that, that, that donkey, Jesus, not the horse of judgment. We want to come, God, with love and grace and forgiveness and kindness, beckoning sinners to be saved. Jesus, being patient with them, patient with them. Sometimes ministering to people, you become impatient. You get frustrated. Come on, ask God for patience. That you would love them and treat them as you had, as God treated you, as you needed to be treated. Come on, a few more moments praying for others. And praying that your heart will be a gentle ministry. Gentleness is one of the fruits of the Spirit. We thank you, Lord. Would you hold the hand of the person next to you and just pray for them now? God, I pray you bless every person. I pray, God, that we live in gentleness. That, God, we warn people of who you you are coming as a conquering king. But we preach in gentleness. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Let's give God not a gentle hand clap, but a passionate hand clap. Amen.